0: is on the go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 31st, 2021, called Running to the Fire, Teaching with Authority, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law.
1: Well, God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours in Christ. There's an outline. If you want to jot some notes down and we continue working through this in the public ministry of Jesus Christ, here we see uh, Jesus speaking with authority. You know, one of the things that could have been really, a, that could have been very interesting, if you, were, if you were kind of connecting into these readings as we had them, We could have preached on any of them and they would have been timely. The Deuteronomy passage was, if somebody goes around saying, hey, I'm speaking the words of God, you ought to check it out. You know, somebody claiming to speak with such great authority, you better test that one. Another one on the second one then, I love that one, I said, that leaned over to Teresa and I said, wow, this would have been timely to preach on in this era too. Because you know what Paul is saying there? He says, you know, some of you guys, some of you Christians, you're such great theologians and you've studied so hard and you know so much of the Bible. And you, uh, you've read doctrine and you have all kinds of book learning and maybe you went to seminary and you just have all this theological stuff. And so, but you know what, you don't use that knowledge when somebody else is having a troubled conscience. So you don't don't trouble somebody else's conscience if they haven't had all the same learning you have. So for the sake of a Christian brother or sister, maybe I could eat that meat, but I'm not going to do it because it might offend them and drive them away from their faith. I love that. I love that passage. Paul's being humble and gentle. But this passage, I think, is important. Um, I think this passage here with Jesus, as he speaks into the synagogue, it's interesting, you know, um, the synagogues arose when the, uh, when the Israelites were in exile. The temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon destroyed the temple for the um, second time, um, and then this or, or destroyed Solomon's temple. And then they were hauled off into exile. And because they didn't have a temple and couldn't make sacrifices, they developed synagogues. We have them still today. Synagogues, place of study and learning. And it was intriguing because the, the, uh, the rabbis of the day, it became, almost a, it became a running joke among the people of Israel that if you put like three rabbis in a room, you got 10 opinions on a particular topic. They would just debate and debate and debate and debate on and on and on and on, trying to, in their mind, or at least what they were saying, was finding the certain will of God as opposed to understanding what God's heart was. And so it was almost a joke for the people when they saw the rabbis going in to study, they just kind of almost rolled their eyes and walked away because they could never come to a conclusion. They could never come to a definite answer. You know, they would debate things about the law, like for example, because Jesus in their eyes broke this law all the time to honor the Sabbath. How many steps could you take on a day, on a Sabbath day? How much weight could you lift? Where could you go or what could you do? Could you, could you cook something with a, with a fire or did you have to have it prepared the day before? And Jesus, you, you know, could just come on here and shake his head and say, you have missed the point. And so when Jesus comes along speaking with authority, it kind of rocks their world. It really, it, but it rocks both of their worlds. It amazes the people. But it probably makes very uneasy the rabbis, which we discover, right? The Pharisees in particular. You know, I shared this at first service because I just thought of it while, even after church began. And this is actually a document that I have on my wall. I gave it to the team, our staff. And this was something that at our district board retreat, uh, President Linneman shared with us. And, and I, I would be willing to discuss this, if it's, whether it's all true or valuable or whatever. But this, it struck me and it's, it's helped me. And you know me well enough to know that I'm not big on bumper sticker theology. It's not enough. Um, or cliches or just a little saying. It's not enough. Yard signs. It's not enough to make it your theology. But these were kind of bullet points that were helpful to me. And I shared it with the team because I think these are worthwhile evaluation tools. As we go about doing ministry for for you and together with you in this community, these are questions I'm asking and I'm asking our team to ask them. When we decide to do something or launch a ministry or initiate something, here's one question that I ask. Are we practicing religion or relationship? So for example, you got to be careful here because Aaron doesn't love it when I say this because religion is not all bad. James says there is a true religion of helping widows and orphans. So caring for others is a true religion. But when I use the term religion, I'm using it as Jesus used it in relationship to the Pharisees of his day who had turned... The religion of Judaism and the observance of law and ceremony and ritual into their mechanism for measuring if they were good enough to be in God's presence. Okay? And Jesus comes in and throws a bomb in the middle of that and says, that is not how you get right with God. And so Jesus talks about being in relationship with God. And so, for instance, When we make decisions here, is it driven by, oh, uh, you have to worship at a certain time. You have to worship with a certain instrument. You have to dress in a certain way. you, You know what I'm saying? We have to do things that are religious. Is that what measures our rightness with God? No, it's Jesus Christ and his love for us and his relationship with us which measures our rightness with God. Second, the second value as we go along is, are we advancing, when we do ministry here, are we advancing the institution or the movement? One is static and the other is organic, living, moving. So for instance, when I go and consult with churches, one of the first things I ask for is the budget. And then I want to know, what are your job descriptions for people? And then I say, you tell me what percentage of your budget is being spent on maintaining this institution. Because when churches shift over and the majority of their in, of their income and resources are meant just to maintain a building and to keep a person hired or something like that, you're heading the wrong direction. Because Christianity is not an institution. Christianity is the family of God. It's a movement. It's organic. It's living. And so when we decide things here, I want to say, look, I don't want to do things that kind of justify our jobs or keep us going as an institution. Third thing is this, and this is the one I'm really getting to. How do we operate? Do we operate by power or by influence as staff members? So, for instance, February 21st, we're going to have a voters meeting. It's going to be a big deal. We're going to talk about, we have a search, a call committee interviewing candidates. This Friday, Teresa and I are traveling to St. Louis to the seminary. We're going to be interviewing four candidates there. Sunday, we're going to interview one who's more local. And the, that committee will come back to the voters and say, here's what we think, whether we should call one of those or, or have two or three options or whatever it is. Um, we're, that's a big deal when you call a pastor to serve at your church. That's a big deal. Um, And then we're also proposing a counseling center that we revise and renovate some space here that can create a way for clients in our community to come here for counseling services, professional licensed counseling services. We don't provide them, but we want to partner with the counselors from an agency who might come. There's more to that. I could talk about it for a long time. I won't. Here's my question to you. When we have that voters meeting, how many votes do I get? I get one because I am a member just like you, right? Well, shouldn't I have about 100 votes? Isn't that how that should work? No, of course not, because that would be driven by power, wouldn't it? Power and control. Instead, I'm hoping that you're longing for your pastor and your staff and your leaders to prayerfully and humbly walk according to as we try to discern God's will and wisdom, searching what would be best for our community. And as we share that and discuss it and we make case and we listen to one another and we're kind with one another and we're eager to meet needs, that at some point the team that recommends might have some influence. Because influence in the end really is kind of authority. They're not exactly the same, but that's really what it is. Jesus comes in a different way, even different than that process I just described but Jesus wants to come and speak with authority into our lives. So let me tell you a story about two Lutheran school principals. One of them was a woman, which is unusual in our denomination to start with. Not anymore. It's not unusual anymore. It was 40 years ago. And, uh, and she was principal for about 12 years. She had never had a college degree. She was thrust into that position of leadership when it happened because there was a moral failing before her and the principal left and they scrambled and she was teaching a grade and they asked her to lead. She had no formal training in administration, did not even hold a bachelor's degree. Um, she did that for 12 years and then retired when her husband retired and then she had a successor and his, uh, his name was Ephraim. Um, and Effie uh, came in and he had a master's degree in educational administration. He had done a thesis paper on uh, curriculum development. He had done extensive work on developmental psychology, child child development. He knew he, he had gone to seminars and had gotten certifications in scheduling and in marketing and development in educational settings. And three years in, he complained to my mother, who was the previous principal, why does everyone still turn to you? And he was kind enough not to say, I have twice your education and I have twice your training and I'm up on technology and modern implements. Why do they all still turn to you? And you know, the answer, I don't know what my mother said to him, but that was my mom who was that principal who never had a college degree and yet was principal of a Lutheran school for a dozen years in New York City. And the amazing thing about it was my wife, I mean, my mom invested in the lives of the people she served. If a teacher had a need, she was there. It didn't matter what hour of the day it was. It mattered not. She walked with them. She defended them. She had their back. She fought. She was fierce to to care for kids and parents. She would go to bat for resources, for tuition assistance. She would raise money on her own. She was fierce and passionate for the ministry of of that school, but more particularly for the lives of those students. Point number one is this. Let's go to point number one. You know why Jesus can speak with authority and why my mom could speak to authority because of who she was, because of who Jesus is. This is the first thing, because I believe that the law point of this sermon, and I don't know, I don't need anyone to nod, raise your hand, agree with me, say amen. You don't need to say it because I know this to be true because your pastor wrestles with it periodically is there are things I love that Jesus says to me and I am quick to assent and to his lordship and authority in my life and there are other things I don't like so much. And I am tempted to say, to rationalize, well, you know, Jesus lived a long time ago. You know, the culture is different today. And he doesn't really, you know, Jesus really wasn't speaking to the situation I grew up in or my particular setting. Or the things that I wrestle with, or my family does, or this or that. Jesus isn't aware of technology and the things that tempt us. And, you know, so I really, you know, and some of my, those people I disagree with, they're just jerks. So you're, I, I don't have to love them because they're not obeying the will of God. So I don't have to love them. Or whatever it is, I'm tempted by that hard. I am tempted by many of the things Jesus says to me about loving unconditionally and being patient and praying for those who persecute me and on and on and on. And I think this is a challenge for us. You know, we say this a lot. I, we want people to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the traditional way of saying it. It's backwards. I think it was you that told me that back in the day, Teresa. It's backwards. It's backwards. Because we, need, because we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And then he needs to become Lord of our lives. Because the one that won't happen before the other. And so this is a great challenge. What's so fascinating is when you read this text, who is it that knows exactly who Jesus is? The demon. The people don't. They don't acknowledge Jesus as the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God, the divine Son of God. It's the demon who comes in and says, I know who you are. But this is the reason why Jesus can speak with authority. It's revealed to that audience and to us. This is who Jesus is? I mean, just imagine some of that audience. I thought this was just Joseph's kid. I thought this was just the apprentice carpenter. I just thought this was a guy who helped us clean the fishing nets. And the demon declares who it is. Because in my mom's case, people thought, I thought that was just Lucille. But it was because of who she was in the lives of those people that she could speak with authority where her successor struggled to do so. And he was a good man. But he struggled to speak because they did not yet accept who he was, who he had become in their life. And so my challenge to us today really is is to stop and to say, Okay, Lord, in what areas of my life am I struggling for you to speak with authority into my life? And do you deserve to do so? Should you do so? I mean, the answer should be a resounding yes. But let's talk about that. The first one is it's because of who he is. This is who he is. Jesus doesn't come in with fanfare and pretension, but the demon is the one who says, I know exactly who you are. You are the Holy One of Israel. So Jesus comes in with credentials. The second thing is this. Jesus also speaks with authority because of what he knows. Because of what he knows. I found this interesting. I, uh, I used to do some side work, graphic design side work, back in the, in the mid-late 80s for a, a, a little storefront in West Seattle. So I was picking up some extra money while I was working at, at Seattle Lutheran High School. And it was back in the day when Macintoshes had just come out and typesetting was changing. You were actually typesetting on a computer instead of in a printing shop. And so that's what I was doing, was setting type for people. And on the front of their window, it was really cool, because back in the day when they still, fax machines were still important. Some of you that are younger, do you know what a fax machine is? You may not. That's okay if you don't. I think they're stupid. I mean, I think they're irrelevant anymore, and we should throw them out of every office. I think they're dumb, but um, why can't you take a picture of something and email it to somebody? But anyway, um, we still have them in our offices. So it used to say, but that used to be a big deal to be able to immediately electronically over a phone line send a scanned document to someone to be able to complete a transaction or notarize something or whatever it needed to be. You could do it with a fax machine. So they had on their front sign, it was great, great big letters, fax, $5, right? You could come here and send a fax, $5. Underneath in little letters it said, opinions are still free. That's a joke, do you get it? Fax, $5 opinions are still free. And I asked him about it once. He said, well, that's what they're worth. That's what they're worth. Thomas Sowell, who is an author that I've really come to appreciate in this interesting, contentious time. He's African-American. He's about 90 years old. He's a black conservative, actually, is what he is. So articulate. He he teaches. He's a, a fellow at Stanford University in the Hoover Institute. Brilliant guy. He wrote a book about eight years ago called Intellectuals and Society, and it was interesting because in this modern age, intellectuals have become the new elite and they weigh in on almost everything. In fact, how this is a fascinating phenomenon. Celebrities weigh in on things and people actually pay attention to them. Seriously, athletes weigh in on things. Who cares? Are you nuts? Do I care what LeBron James thinks about something? About Are you crazy? Um, you know, or Britney Spears or Tiffany uh, Taylor Swift or who cares? Um, and so Thomas Sowell says it's interesting because that's a recent phenomenon. It's a recent phenomenon that in the last 50 or 60 years, we have now an intellectual class who, because they have letters after their name, Regardless of what those letters designate and signify, they believe they can weigh in with authority on almost everything and yet know almost nothing. It's like the person who used to be called a, a jack of all trades, or here's an even better term, forgive me ladies, I don't mean this to sound chauvinistic, it's just the term, of renaissance man, do you remember that term? A renaissance person, a a renaissance meaning they had a high level of expertise in many, many, many fields. They could paint, they could fix your car, they could sculpt, they could throw a football 60 yards, they could do calculus, and on and on, they could do all these things. The problem is, for most of those people, they knew just enough to what? To be dangerous. They knew just enough to get far enough into the project, into where they could screw it up completely. Because they did not have a depth of knowledge This is what's fascinating about Jesus. And I believe, I believe our human heart, even though Americans are notorious for not wanting anyone to speak with authority in our life. We think we're all free agents. We desperately need someone to speak with authority, and Jesus needs to because when he walks into the room in the synagogue, he speaks with authority because he's the author. They're amazed How can he speak with such authority? The rabbis would have debated this for days and days and days and still never come up with a conclusion. And this guy walks in and he says, here's how it is. Because I know not just the author, but I know the author's intent and purpose and goal. Jesus longs to speak with authority in our lives because of who he is, but also because of what he knows. And then the third thing is that Jesus also speaks with authority because of what he does um next week will be the super bowl so i'll have to tell you a good football story next week i'll tell you a football story this week though and see what you think um so the setting's a supermarket curtis is a stock boy and he was working away when a new voice came over the speaker and said hey we need to carry out at register three well, he was almost finished and he was going to head out to his car anyway. So he said, well, I'll run by and I'll just carry it out to the car and then go on home. When he got there, he saw the checkout girl. It was a new girl. She was gorgeous. And her name said Brenda on her name tag. Well, he walked out and carried out the, the, uh, the groceries and then noticed that she had just finished her shift and she was starting to walk up the road. Well, the next day he waited outside is when she left the supermarket and he offered her a ride home. She thought, well... He looked harmless enough, even though he was four years younger than her. He looked harmless, and so she accepted. When he dropped her off, he asked if maybe he could see her again outside of work, and she said, no, that's impossible. Well, he pressed on her, and he was insistent, and she explained, I have two children, and I can't afford a babysitter. So then he offered to pay for the babysitter. Well, reluctantly, she accepted his offer for a date for the following Saturday. That Saturday night, he arrived at her door, only to have her tell him that she was unable to go with them. The babysitter had canceled. To which Curtis said, Let's take the kids with us. She tried to explain that taking the children was not an option. But again, not taking, <clears throat> not taking no for an answer, he pressed. Finally, Brenda brought him inside to meet her children. Well, she had an old daughter who was just so cute, just a cutie. Curtis thought... Uh, thought um, as as he met her, and then Brenda brought out her son, and her son was in a wheelchair; he had Down syndrome. So Curtis asked Brenda, "I still don't understand why the kids can't come with us." Brenda was amazed. Most men would run away from a woman with two kids, especially if one had disabilities, just like her first husband and father of her children had done. Curtis wasn't ordinary; he had a different mindset. That evening, Curtis and Brenda looked up the kids, uh, loaded up the kids. Went to dinner in the movies. And when the son needed anything, Curtis would take care of him. When he needed to use the restroom, he picked him up out of his wheelchair, took him and brought him back. The kids loved him. At the end of the evening, Brenda knew this was the man she was going to marry and spend the rest of her life with. A year later, they were married and Curtis adopted both of her children. Since then, they've added two more kids. So what happened to Curtis and the stock boy and Brenda, the checkout girl? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Warner live in Arizona. And you may even own this story already. So he lives in Arizona, and he was the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, won a Super Bowl, was the MVP, and was the MVP of the league twice. I love this story because this is what Jesus speaks with authority because of what he does, and he is relentless. I don't know about you. I have demons in my life I need Jesus to speak with authority to. I have challenges and hurts. I have my own brokenness that I need Jesus to speak with authority, to tell that de- demon to take a hike. And to overcome it for me because I'm unable to on my own. Because of my own human nature and my own sinfulness. And whatever you may be bringing to the table. Your past, your current, whatever things you're struggling with. We need Jesus and he can do it because of who he is. Because of what he knows and what he does. What he's able and not only able but willing to do. We need Jesus to speak to demons in our life and cast them out. Will you let him? Please let him. Speak to those demons and tell them to go to hell where they deserve to be. But even more importantly, people of God, please hear this. Because this is what that story says to me. Jesus needs to just as relentlessly and just as forcefully and with just as much authority speak grace into your life and tell you this is why I want to be with you. You are precious to me. You are of immeasurable worth. See that cross? That's where I went. And you couldn't have stopped me. And you won't stop me from loving you now. And so we need Jesus to speak with that authority in our life as well. The authority that says, I love you. And he's the source of our love. Amen. If you have any
0: questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.